Hello and welcome to Judge a Blank by its Cover, a Little City Library podcast. That's right, we've officially committed to opening ourselves up to a whole world of media types, books, films, albums, the works. If it's got a cover, it's on the table as far as we're concerned. But as always, I'm Bellette. And I'm Pete. We're librarians at the Mary Riley Styles Public Library in the city of Falls Church. This is a media review podcast where we attempt to predict content based on covers. Today we're discussing Images, the 1972 film directed by Robert Altman. And boy, does this film exude 1972 energy. As always, we've posted a photo of the poster on our Instagram page at Little City Library for you to check out so you can always judge right along with us. All right, Pete, let's get into it. What is your best guess as to what this film is about? All right, so this is a complex movie poster for a pretty complex film. Here's what I've got. Somewhat psychedelic image mainly composed of three images of what looks like two different women, one in profile. The woman not in profile sits and looks toward the viewer and is encircled in a corona of light or perhaps film exposure. At the top of the poster, a puzzle piece pattern is superimposed over the imagery. There are pictures of maybe an antelope, a camera, an eye, what looks like a chandelier, a house, and several hanging objects that look like ornaments or lights. The color of the poster is blue-green against the black background. There's a pattern of what looks like after exposures of light, circular white spots with trails above and below them. The title of the film, coupled with the myriad images on the poster and especially the puzzle pieces, makes me think that this is a mystery about something that was filmed in the vein of Antonioni's Blow Up or Coppola's The Conversation. Perhaps the woman is a photographer who accidentally filmed some misdeed and is trying to get to the bottom of what happened through a close examination of what she filmed. So I, like I was completely that. wrong, but yeah. Yeah, that, no, uh, I, I was going to say you know, like, And I think also because it's a 1970s film and those other two films are 1970s films as well, I believe. Definitely the conversation, I think, also blow up. What did you get from your cover examination, Bullet? So there is a lot going on on this cover. You've actually covered most of it. I'm really only going to focus on the parts that really grabbed me. The first thing I noticed was the metallic rainbow photo aesthetic. And as I focused in on the other images, thematically that made sense since there is an old Polaroid looking camera pretty much front and center. There are two heads in profile at the center as well, each facing opposite directions. One an adult, perhaps a mother, the other a child, perhaps her child. Then in the center space between these two profiled faces, there is another child pictured from the waist up looking forward. I feel as if this child is lost to the mother or family in some way, except perhaps through images or photos, since the camera is right next to her and the metallic rainbow ring circles the child's image. The last piece of the poster that I really latched onto almost immediately were those puzzle pieces at the top and the base of the hanging chandelier at the bottom. And I just want to briefly note that there were other glass globes hanging in the image that caught my eye, but I bundled them up with the symbolism of the chandelier itself. The puzzle pieces at the top run back behind the two heads in profile, which to me indicates a mystery or unknown that these characters are faced with, similar to you, Pete. And the fact that there is the base to the chandelier hanging at the bottom indicates that this puzzle remains unsolved or unresolved in some way, as the characters are symbolically or metaphorically left hanging. Ah, left hanging. I like that. Kind of like the viewer. <laughs> Well, actually, that was my note on this at the end. Perhaps it's not the characters who are left hanging, but the viewers. On that note, why don't you give us the quick and dirty plot summary below? Yes. So Images stars Susanna York, who plays Catherine, a children's author. She appears to be suffering from delusions as she receives phone calls from a stranger that indicate her husband, who is played by René Auvergenois, also known as Odo from Deep Space Nine, for all you Trekkie fans. Uh, <laughs> anyway, this character played by René may or may not have been having an affair. The wife and husband take a holiday to Ireland, at which point Catherine's delusions 
intensify as she mentally begins to unravel experiencing paranoia, hallucinations, and visions of a doppelganger. And one thing that I would just add in terms of the characters that I noticed at the end uh, during the credits, Robert Altman, the director and writer of this film, has interchanged the names of the characters and the names of the actors who played them. So for example, Susanna York plays Catherine in the film, but the actress who plays Susanna in the film is named Catherine Harrison. And similarly with some of the male leads, Rene Aubergenois, who you just mentioned, plays a character named Hugh, whereas an actor named Hugh Millet plays another male character in the film called Marcel. So Altman is very cleverly or confusingly switching the names of all the actors and their real names. And I wonder if that was really confusing on the set. I was just thinking that I hadn't noticed it. I did notice that Susanna was one of the characters and then you had this actress named Susanna, but I didn't know it was done so often throughout the film, but that must have been so confusing when filming. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Very clever and cool, but also- I'm sure there was a lot of whatever your name is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yes, uh, we have Catherine, who's our main character. She's the children's author whose mental state unravels throughout the film. Hugh, her husband, who's kind of this joker. And at first, you know, we're led to believe he might be having an affair and maybe he was, but that twists on Catherine a little bit because she's had some affairs with Rene, the hallucinatory Frenchman. <laughs> I love that title, Rene, the hallucinatory Frenchman. It's that a great book be, title, that actually. That should be an honorary title. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be and your hallucinatory Frenchman for the evening. <laughs> and then there's also Marcel, who is a friend of Hugh that Catherine also appears to have had some kind of relationship with at one point. And then Susanna, his daughter, who Catherine is pretty chummy and friendly with. And they have a fairly nice relationship compared to some of the others throughout this film. Well, before I go over the themes, I just want to mention for anyone who might be thinking of this film that it is kind of uh, disturbing in some ways. And we're watching this around Halloween and also the election. So, you know, maybe like a frightful and or stressful kind of time. So that was a, you know, terrible pick on my part, just ratcheting up the pressure with this really confusing and somewhat scary film. It, Halloween was just a couple of days ago, and this, this would be a good film to see on Halloween. But just a viewer's advisory addendum to the plot summary that there is a fair amount of not very graphic but some sexual depictions and some depictions of violence which are a little bit more graphic yeah. and one other thing i'd mention is just that the setting is in ireland in county wicklow and it's absolutely beautiful and i think that that somewhat almost offsets the disturbing nature of the content of the film because it's so nice during these corona times where you can't really go anywhere to at least take a look at something that's different from what you you're seeing every day and the lush green countryside for me was like a really welcome place to go in this film. I absolutely agree. Yeah, scenery was definitely one of the high points. And on what you were saying, while not overly graphic, I found that Catherine's mental state and the actress's expression of it, she would be fine one moment and the next she'd be afraid and then she would be almost cockily aware and it was just like this switching of emotions that was a little disturbing. Yeah, it's true. You're really Really never settled for very long, if at all. And after a while, you just sort of get used to feeling uncomfortable, which from what I understand about Altman is kind of a leitmotif. On that note, I'll go into some of the themes. So here are the, some of the ones that I thought of fractured identity, confusion, the inability to find meaning or figure things out, infidelity, mental illness, perhaps multiple identity disorder, fantasy versus reality. And then of course, the title is images and there's a lot of camera paraphernalia in the film. 
So I would add images or perhaps illusions or delusions as Susanna's husband, Renee, seems to be maybe like a photographer and advertising business, although I'm not sure. The one thing that he photographs in the movie is sort of a still life of an antelope head on a bed of leaves with a pair of guns. So I'm not sure what that would be advertising, (laughs) not anything that I would probably want to buy. One thing that I would add is there's a really good website called Senses of Cinema that I would recommend. And they have lots of articles online about various films, essays, really. And they also have these great director pages, which are like long form pieces, not just about the facts, director's life that you could get on IMDb or Wikipedia, but like really go into the thematic content of the films. And I found some great quotes on the Altman page, which I think, you know, really apply to this film as well. And there's this one quote here that talks about how the films substitute structure for story and form for representation. They depict debilitated individuals living in constrained circumstances of powerlessness and subservience. I think that applies to the main character, Susanna, in this film. She's powerless in this illness that she's suffering from or in these illusions that she's suffering from. And she's also sort of subservient to these men, her husband, and then also these two men who were her affairs. And then there's just a couple more quotes I wanted to share here. Altman's art cinema narration systematically displays an open and poetic mode of storytelling, a continuing perception of social identity as fragile, fractured, and fragmentary, and a critical self-consciousness about the nature of narrative communication itself. I know that's a lot. So rather than explain it or try to unpack it, I'm just going to read another quote. This one, I think, is the most (laughs) applicable to this film. Rather than encouraging viewer identification with a coherent character psychology, it delineates a variety of contradictory subject positions that critique privileged intelligibility. In other words, you're not really meant to understand it. (laughs) And you're not really meant to understand the people in the film. And they don't really understand themselves. And so, yeah, that's back to our point about feeling deeply unsettled watching this film. pulled the review from Roger Ebert, just pulled a couple of lines from it that actually follow along quite nicely. He said, it isn't the sort of film you feel affectionate about. It's complex and cold. He also described it as intelligently constructed and spectacularly well photographed, a technical success, but not an emotional one. Yeah, I can see that. Did you like the film, Bolette? And did it remind you of anything? It's not really my type of film. I didn't dislike it. In some ways, it's very well done. It's just not usually my cup of tea. But I would definitely compare it to The Yellow Wallpaper by Charlotte Perkins Gilman. It's first wave feminism about a woman who has recently had a child and is being forced into bed rest when she has postpartum depression and is slowly going mad, being forced to stay in this room with this yellow wallpaper. And she starts to see things in the wallpaper, basically this unraveling of her mind. And in this film, I noticed that the house they go to stay at in Ireland has a yellow door. And so I thought for Perhaps, or maybe I'm reaching, but perhaps there's some inspiration there as well. That's an interesting thought. I really like 1970s cinema in general. One of the things this article and Senses of Cinema talks about is how the 70s were like a great time for experimental film before the blockbusters of the 80s came along and just sort of took over everything. And we all love those 80s films as well. But and like this film from 1972, really give you something to like chew on and think about. And even if you don't really feel 
great after watching it. It's always like an interesting experience. And also the cinematography is beautiful. And one other thing I'd mention is that this uh, soundtrack is by John Williams, the guy who did Star Wars. And I really liked the soundtrack. It's a lot of sort of ambient noise. And, you know, we talked about what we thought were chandeliers, but there's all these chimes that you continually see in the film, which I initially thought might be sort of like a little signal to the viewer that Susanna's about to have some kind of dissociative episode. But the thing is, she has so many and so frequently that it, the chimes would have to be going nonstop for that to be the case. But he also does this thing, this kind of like warpy sound, which made me think of The Shining, which didn't come along till 1980. So I wondered if Kubrick saw this film in 1972 because it has this, you know, like something bending or wind blowing something and it's twisting or, you know, somebody's reality getting twisted around as well. So I liked it. It's not an easy movie to watch but it's kind of fun if you're looking to get sort of intellectually stimulated while you watch a weird film Definitely. One of the other interesting parts of the narrative, I didn't really pay too closely attention to at first, but we get these kind of intermittent interjections of this children's story that Catherine is writing, which is actually a real children's story, I guess. Get that this... the actress Susanna York wrote. Yeah. So this narrator reads over Catherine's narration of whatever Catherine's doing at the time. And I thought it might be interesting to go back and watch this looking at what's going on and is there kind of interplay between the language and the scene. I didn't really catch anything watching it the first time, but I wasn't really paying attention. I didn't really think of it until about halfway through. So I wonder if there's anything there or if it's just here's some of the novel. Yeah, there's a lot of puzzles in the film to puzzle over and including an actual puzzle, which you, <laughs> you do see completed at the very end. My favorite scene in the movie comes toward the end and I'm not going to give away the particulars, but suffice to say, it's kind of the point where Catherine makes peace with her illusions and just sort of goes about her business, even though the illusions are right there. She's not reacting or freaking out. She's just walking around them or walking over them, as the case may be. And it's just like, wow, I guess that's progress, but <laughs> it's a uh, you know, hard way to live if that's how you got to do it. And then I wanted to do this segment with the comments. I just saw this notice that Canopy is going to be getting rid of the comments in 2021. So oh, all of our listeners will bid a fond farewell to this segment of our podcast, which <laughs> has gone on for this being the second. Yeah, two um, episodes. That's a big deal. Yeah. All right, I'm, I'm going to include one positive and one negative. This one from a patron of the Los Angeles Public Library. They don't pay me to understand movies. Never did, never do. But they can't pay me to watch this one again. You call that poetry? I don't think so. I love it. <laughs> And then this one, a patron from the King County Library System. It's a very different take than the majority of Altman's work, but the movie that sold me on his status as a genius. So kind of two sides of the same coin. Like if you don't feel like trying to figure something out, you're not going to enjoy it. But if you are looking to try to get in the mind of a genius, maybe this is a good one for you. So yeah, there you have it. Yeah, I'll just point out one of my favorite scenes, which also again points to this delusional imagery when they first arrive at this country house that they're going to be staying at. And they're at the top of this hill overlooking the house. And Catherine's going to get back in the car, drive it back down, and they'll meet down there at the bottom. But when she looks down at 
the road from the top of the hill, she sees her car driving down it. And she looks over, her car still parked next to her and looks down again and she's getting out of the car. And so you've got this split consciousness that is really beautiful, but it's also a little bit eerie in that this is not getting better. It's just getting worse. And we see that in a couple different ways where she is in two places at once, which I thought was very interesting. Sometimes she tries to communicate with herself and can't quite hear. And so I think there is some nice symbolism there too, as she loses track of herself. Absolutely. Yes. All right, Paulette, which one of us do you think got closer? This was a, a tough one. I think I like that we both went pretty specific in our guesses, but the more specific you get, the more likely you're not going to get it right. <laughs> <laughs> I think we both got different aspects of it right. I think we both said that there was going to be a mystery. Yep. And I don't know that there was necessary. Well, there was kind of some suspenseful, like what's going to happen type mystery. And I think I was focused on the characters when in reality, it's the audience who's more going through a ride. But I think you were right in focusing on the characters because it's really all about identity and multiple identities. And I got hung up on the title images and the cameras to think that it was a mystery about something captured on the film. And in reality, it was a mystery about the characters. And so I am reluctantly going to have to grant you victory for this episode. I will say, though, that the camera oftentimes is just sitting up in scenes and Catherine will be going through these kind of delusionary states and then look over at the camera. And I didn't know where that was going necessarily or if like, is someone going to watch this later and just see her having these interactions by herself? But I think the cameras are integral and at one point the camera breaks. It doesn't just break, it gets blown to she pieces violently. blows it up. A shotgun, yeah. Which... Um, yeah, I thought about that too. And also the fact that the position of the camera changes. There's one scene where she's having a delusional conversation with somebody who's not there and then she runs into an another room and runs back and then the camera instead of pointing at this still life that her husband Renee had created is now pointing at her and so I, I thought a little bit about that and I was thinking that filming something is another way to create a fractured reality because you're both subject and object potentially it's also a filtered reality when you're looking through something you're not looking right at reality you're looking through a medium so maybe that's just another kind of layer to that theme of fragmentary consciousness. I agree. Also, that's the most poetic way anyone's ever described something that could be related to selfies. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so this would be one, I think, that you'd recommend, right, Pete? Yeah, I would recommend it. I'd recommend, you know, just about anything from the great directors of the 1970s, especially. That's one of my favorite eras of film. This one's it's pretty good and it's on canopy. You could watch other Robert Altman films. You know, maybe you've seen Gosford Park or The Player with Tim Robbins. And I guess MASH was his most commercially successful. So, yeah. Yeah, I'd recommend checking out Robert Altman. And yeah, maybe if you're in the mood for something perplexing to check out images. What about you, Bullet? Well, Gosford Park is right up my alley, but I, I think so. I've watched some films from this era that I feel like the pacing is too slow or something is off. I felt like this was art in a lot of ways by comparison to a lot of modern films. It's not something I probably would have picked out to watch on my own. This is what I have Pete around for, but I didn't dislike watching it. A ringing it endorsement from <laughs> I didn't dislike watching it. It's pretty You're good for me welcome. sometimes. <laughs> I called it art. Did you miss that part? <laughs> 
Before we tune out, we want to give special thanks to the band Zombie Zombie for giving us permission to use their song Psychic Harmonia 2 in our intro and outro. You'll hear that catchy tune in just a moment, but for now, thanks for joining us for Judge a Blank by Its Cover, a Little City Library podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Belette. Don't forget to join us next month when we'll judge something else. In the meantime, for what it's worth, you have our permission to keep on judging. All right, that was a pretty yeah, clean one. I think we one. killed that one. Yeah. Maybe uh, it's like, maybe the more difficult the thing to watch, the easier the podcast.